Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Welcome back to the Dwell Digital Living Room. It is brand new for a brand new series. I forgot to water my green wall for a few weeks and it died. So uh, we had to shift a few things around. And uh, it's also summertime which means we're starting our How to Be series, which is really an awesome series. We did it last year. Uh, It's where we look through the book of Psalms and look at sort of spiritual habits, practices, and postures uh, for how we might uh, better live as Jesus, so how we might better live as Christians in this world. And so uh, it's very practical and hands-on, and it sort of uh, points us towards living this life that I think all of us want to live. So uh, we're actually kicking that off today. Uh, diving into the Psalms. I also wanted to just let you know, and uh, we'll have more details coming out in the next coming weeks. Uh, so for, for right now, we're going to continue doing the Dwell Digital Living Room, and uh, nothing's going to change. It's going to keep coming uh, straight to Facebook and YouTube. You can access it there uh, and however you do that. And uh, But over the next couple weeks, we're also going to be instituting something that is I think really cool and a great way for us to gather in small and still safe groups, uh, but to still be able to see each other and experience the real community that we want to experience as church. So we'll be introducing some singing and some uh, communion and stuff like that. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, I'm super, super excited about it. Uh, today, uh, we have sort of an interesting how to be topic. The, the idea is basically how to be outraged, how to be angry. Uh, I kind of went back and forth, actually, and, and this is a confession. You can, you know, judge me if you want. Uh, I went back and forth on, like, how to speak to or whether to speak to this whole uh, George Floyd and protesting and riots and just all the stuff that's sort of going on in our world today. <clears throat> and the reason why I, I wouldn't speak to it is because it feels like if you've been on social media for the past two weeks, it's like all you've been hearing and everybody feels like they have the right answer. And I just didn't want to jump in with just another voice contributing to that. But then as I was searching for a psalm actually for uh, another topic that I'm now going to do next week, I came across this one and it just felt like all too appropriate. And and I also, I want to be clear here, I'm not saying that like the Bible doesn't speak to this kind of thing or it doesn't tell us how we as Christians should be living, but just sort of as a pastor didn't want to contribute to more noise. But oddly enough, uh, today in our psalm, in Psalm chapter 10, it feels like the psalmist really it, it captures a lot of what I at least have been feeling in processing this whole thing. So uh, I'm asking on the front end for you to extend a little bit of grace to me, uh, not fully understanding any of this or how to react. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but to be able to just sort of dive in and hopefully even more than any sort of, you know, spin or take that I put on it, uh, the Bible speaks clearly to all of us today. That's my hope. So, uh, the Bible is not anti anger. It's clear to like put that out at the front. Uh, it's not like opposed to anger in a sense. Now it's against a lot of like negative results of anger. It doesn't, uh, condone murder or hate for sure. The Bible is opposed to those things. 
But uh, anger in itself, uh, the Bible is not against, really. Lots of biblical characters were angry, and they were even righteous in their anger. They, they were angry for good reason. Moses uh, smashed the first copy of the Ten Commandments. After, you know, he sort of quarantined himself up on Mount Sinai. Yes, we're using that word for everything now. So he quarantines himself up there. God writes the Ten Commandments in stone. He comes back down, and the people are throwing a party in heaven. Uh, they had built an idol for themselves, and he's so mad that he, uh, like, throws the tablets down on the ground. And he's like, what is going on here? Can you just imagine that, you know? It's almost like parents coming home to a party, and they're like, what is happening? That was Moses. Samuel actually, like, hulked out and just rage-destroyed an entire building after he had turned away from the Lord and then turned back to the Lord, and now he was getting cast captured by the Philistines. Uh, And then even Jesus, Jesus walks into the temple, the house of the Lord, uh, the holy place where God is to be recognized and served. And he finds that people are selling a bunch of religious tchotchkes. Uh, They're basically selling sacrifices so that you can just, instead of having to, you know, like actually bring your own sacrifice to the temple, you can show up there and for a small price, you can cover all of your sins, cover all of your guilt, cover all of your sacrifices uh, for the year. So what he does in seeing this is he actually walks up, flips over tables, uh, whips people with a, um, a bunch of cords, totally goes berserk, and did not sin through all of that. I think <clears throat> uh, because it you know feels like impolite or something like that, there's built up this idea that the Bible is opposed to anger, but that just could not be further from the case. And we actually see that uh, today in our psalm. It opens this way. This is Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourselves, yourself in times of trouble? Now here the psalmist is not uh, pulling his punch. Right? I mean, like, you can tell that this is not, like, a neutral question, that there's a little something behind it. Almost, like, implying, like, why are you not doing what I want you to do? Why are you standing far away? Why are you hiding yourself in this time of great trouble? Which tells us that uh, it seems like the psalmist probably was angry, a little bit outraged. I don't want to read too much in it. But what we can say for certain is that he was, at the very least, honest. Which is actually our first idea for today, that we can be honest uh, with the way that we feel to God. I mean, how cool is it that here in the Psalms, which is like the church's collective worship liturgy for the past, uh, I don't know, 3,000 years? I mean, uh, the Psalms were made sort of, or a lot of them were made in the time of David and then collected after that. Uh, So uh, the people who are following God have been using these as sort of like worship tools for thousands of years now. And how cool is it that in the middle of them, just right here at Psalm chapter 10, we have this Psalm and it's a guy who's saying, hey God, God, why is this happening? Why are you hiding yourself? Why do you stand away? The Bible tells us right here, and it shows us through this psalm, that uh, Christianity is never about being fake. Like, it doesn't require you to hide how you actually feel to come to God. It doesn't require you to pretend that you're something different than you are. Uh, We come to God with our actual thoughts, with our actual feelings, with our actual emotions. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why. I think one of the, like, most logical ones is that he knows how we actually feel anyway. He doesn't want us coming to him with a bunch of fake stuff that he can see right through. He sees right to our heart, to our very soul. He knows how we're feeling. 
So if we're angry and we're confused and we're wondering why God hasn't stepped in and then we show up and just say like, oh, God, you're good. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And bye. <clears throat> we're not fooling anyone. And he is kind enough and generous enough to us to actually care about how we are feeling. It's okay to be mad with God. You can do that and not sin. You can actually be frustrated at God and still not sin. We see this in the book of Job. Uh, his wife uh, looks at him very early on after everything has fallen apart in his life. And she says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, in spite of everything that's going around him, he says, uh, God gives and God takes away. We don't change anything through that. Like, he doesn't change through that. God is still God. He is still on his throne. It makes me think uh, a lot of times God is referred to as our Father. And I think that's a powerful uh, message and analogy, metaphor for us. <clears throat> because you can be mad at your dad, right? Like, you get that sense that, like, uh, no matter what, it's okay to be mad at dad sometimes. Now, not all the time, and there's definitely a limit. There's too far that you can go for to it, you know? Like, uh, definitely, there, there sort of draws that line. But uh, for me, like, I can't remember, really, like, being mad at my dad. My dad is, like, super chill and uh, never really, you know, he's not sort of uh, one to even get mad at. He definitely deflates it. Uh, but I definitely get the other side now. Because I have a little three-nager, now four-nager, I guess, if you can say that. I thought it would be done by the time she's three, who gets mad at me all the time. <clears throat> the other day... Said I said the craziest thing, this might be on me, I said, Evie, it's time to go to bed, <clears throat> which I know is, sounds unreasonable, you can judge me for my parenting style, but I did it, okay? And she reacted as you normally would, thinking like, no, uh, that's super surprising that you would say that to me, Dad, and I am extremely offended right now. And so she balls up her little fist, and she grinds her teeth, and she starts marching away, and as she's walking down the hallway, I hear her shout over her shoulder, I am never going to bed, which is really a good plan. You know, like toddlers wake up every single day thinking like, wow, I'm glad that that sleep was over. That was awful. Now I never have to go to bed again. And sadly, every single day uh, that plan is foiled. But <clears throat> even while she was angry at me, even while she was saying complete gibberish, like I'm never going to bed again, uh, she didn't ever question whether or not I loved her through that. In fact, it was like a weird sign of how comfortable she was around me to where she could actually voice that to me. Now, I'm not saying it's good. It's definitely not like good to take an Ahab kind of approach to God and just constantly be angry, constantly fighting against God. But I think the worst thing, what's worse than that, is being frustrated, being angry, and then trying to hide that from God, acting as if it isn't real. Ultimately, God is big enough to take our anger. He is uh, kind and patient enough to put up with us in the middle of it. And he is loving enough to love us all the way through it. And hopefully, like in the case of this psalm, us bringing our real emotions to God actually leads us to better understanding who he is and what his plan is for the world. Secondly, it's okay to be confused. And I think uh, we see this in the psalm. He opens up with these two questions of why, why, God, is this happening? 
And I think that's something that we need to give ourselves a little bit of freedom uh, to do and to be during this time. We need to be reconciled with the idea that it's okay to be confused. You know, there's so much pressure uh, right now. If you've you know been on social media over the past few days or watching the news or whatever, there's this pressure to uh, to actually have the right answer, to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to think the right thing, uh, to just know the solution or at least know you're part of the solution. I don't think that's the case. I don't think any of us uh, in the middle of sort of already an unprecedented pandemic and now uh, looking at just sort of uh, coming to grips with the fact that we aren't maybe the America that we thought that we were. Maybe we haven't come as far as we thought that we had in the terms of civil rights and, and racism. It's okay to look at all of that and say, I don't really know the answer. Like, it's not a time for pretending that you do know the answer. It's not a time for, like, putting your voice out there just because everybody else says, oh, it's time to put your voice out there. You, know, you should know what to say. If you don't, you're wrong. It's also not a time for pretending that you know the answer and pretending that everyone else is right. I mean, I think, the, or everyone else is wrong. I think the most frustrating thing I have seen over the past few days is the way in which people will say, well, I am reacting this way, and if you don't react this way, then you are a racist bigot and you are part of the problem. There's absolutely no grace floating around for people who are trying to figure this out and people who are willing to admit that, hey, we're all confused in this. There is no easy solution. We can't just take a very complex problem and try and find a, an extremely simple solution that doesn't work. So I think the way that we can actually approach this is the same way as the psalmist. We pray our actual emotions, we pray our honest emotions, and we ask God, why? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen? Then we wait and we listen. And I think we'd actually be a lot closer to a solution. We'd actually be able to cut down on all of the noise if we as Christians stood up and said, why God is this happening? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to see in this? And then we waited on him to speak before we spoke. What a beautiful world that could be. Now, in this next section, uh, he actually speaks about the wickedness around him, the psalmist does. And I think uh, this is really the heart of why this psalm felt especially appropriate today. Check this out, verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the scheme they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. How many people, how many of us out there are acting as if there's no God, there's no central authority, there's no right and wrong in the world anymore, so it doesn't really matter how we react. Verse 5 picks up, says, His ways prosper at all times. Does it not feel like sometimes even the wicked are prospering? They're actually uh, making out better based off of this. I'm thinking about like people who benefit off of systemic racism. I'm thinking about people who took the opportunity uh, for peaceful protest and used it as an opportunity to loot stores, to steal, uh, to cause chaos and riots, to vandalize. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. 
Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face, and we will never see it. It's astounding, and especially if you think of like social ills that are happening in our world, even far beyond just uh, this current sort of chaos that we're in the middle of. It's astounding how much this uh, sort of uh, resonates with us today. That David, living thousands of years ago, uh, could write this, and he is watching uh, people being oppressed. He is watching uh, the poor being taken advantage of. He is watching people who are greedy actually make money off of other people's suffering, actually benefit from harming and hurting others. He is watching, as it seems, uh, this, this whole passage seems very systemic, right? Uh, this is like not something that just pops up and one guy like, you know, walks up and harms another person and then walks away. No, he's saying like the, the people who are oppressing others are actually saying like, we're continuing to get away with this. There is no harm in this. We've built this whole thing around us so that we can do what we want to do, so that we can uh, do evil, so we can act wickedly, so we can harm those who are already oppressed, those who are already poor. It's happening back in David's time, and it's happening today. That is both encouraging and discouraging. Encouraging to know uh, that we're not alone, that even biblical characters face the very same things that we faced and probably had some of the same emotions that we had. But discouraging to know, and maybe to come to terms with the idea that as much as we think we're like progressed and we're more enlightened than they were back there and we are, uh, you know, so much smarter and better and, you know, we look back and, and say like, oh, well, they did all that back then, but we're better than that now. The truth is that humanity will continue to be flawed, that evil will still live in men's hearts and will cause us to sin and will lead us away from God's good path for the world. And I think what all this means, what it all sort of boils down to, is that above and beyond everything, we have to trust God for justice. Here's the lie that you've probably already heard. You can fix this. That by your actions or by our collective actions that we can come to some sort of like perfect solution where, the, where there'll be no more systemic evil, uh, there'll be no more oppression, there'll be no more, uh, no more ills in the world, no more harm to those around us. But that's just simply not true. The idea is if you, if you post this or you protest that or you, you go to this place or you do this thing or you think this way, we can end this injustice. And the hard and not all that attractive truth is that we can't. That ultimately, even if we were able to end police brutality, even if we were able to somehow like snap our fingers and end racism, if we were somehow able to convince everyone on the planet instantly uh, that violence was not the solution to crime, if everything like that happened just instantly, something else would pop up. 
people will find a way. Still, there would be other ways which we as human beings are committing injustice against one another. Now, uh, you should protest and post, and, and you should use your voice. You should definitely take this time to learn. You should definitely take this time to listen. I'm not opposed to any of those things. We should actually uh, be working towards justice. Like, uh, the Bible definitely calls for that. Uh, we are to be a people of justice. We're standing up for a, a justice that is even higher uh, than human justice, even higher than the law. We ought to be people who are standing up for what is good and right and true because God has called us to that. I don't want to uh, uh, make that you know less in any possible way. That is what we are called to do. But we are also called to recognize that ultimately injustice is only going to be put to an end by Jesus Christ and by nothing else. I think the psalmist was uh, consciously or unconsciously recognizing that here in sort of the second to last stanza. He says this, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your head. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? And then here there's a turning point. So he's calling out to God, please act. And then in this turning point, verse 14, he says this, But you do see. So all before, he's like, you know, voicing the, the sort of ideas of the wicked man. He's saying, like, this guy uh, thinks there is no God. He thinks he's going to get away with everything. He thinks he can trick God. Verse 14. But you do see. For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Psalmist here is hoping for this day when Jesus is going to make all of all things right. You see, if we uh, think about God and we think about Jesus and we only think about grace and we think about how much he's forgiven us and we're constantly thinking like, well, I did this wrong, but I want God to forgive me for it. Uh, we, we sort of have an incomplete picture of God. Because while he is gracious and kind, and while he is willing to forgive each and every sin, even the most heinous ones that we can possibly imagine, he is also a God who is just. And I think what's really interesting, what I think is highlighted during this particular time in our lives, is that uh, we want a God who is gracious to us when we are screwing up, but we desperately need a God who is just when the world is evil. We desperately need a God who is one day going to call everything into account, who is going to one day uh, seek out wickedness and destroy it until there is none to be found. This is the same God that would send his son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of humanity, even the worst ones that you can possibly imagine so that he could defeat evil, sin, death, and hell once and for all, and uh, one day usher in the kingdom of God. He did it in his first coming. He brought that to bear. And then uh, in his second coming, he is actually going to bring that kingdom into fruition. And in that day, that will be the final day where no more injustice will exist. No more oppression will exist. No more systemic evil will be allowed to exist and not even evil on an individual level in men and women's hearts. That's the day that we look forward to. 
That's the day that we pray for. That's the day that we work for. That's the day that we try and see acted out in our own lives. That's the day that we pray for when we say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So again, I just want to take an extra second and be clear here. You do have a responsibility to act. You do have a responsibility to listen to God and let Him guide how you think, how you feel, what you do, what you say. But even more so, I think we have to take a step back and recognize that the ultimate end to injustice is not even going to be in our hands. The ultimate end to all injustice, to all evil, to all pain and brokenness in the world belongs to God. I want to end by just praying the last three verses of this psalm. It's a prayer for me, it's a prayer for you, it's a prayer for our country and for our world. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. Thank you, God. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that man who is of earth may strike terror no more. God, may that be. May it be in us. And may you one day bring that about for the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.